Well, good evening, everybody. It's so good to be back. I've been out for a couple weeks. Uh, two weeks ago, of course, was our Create Space Men's Retreat. We had a great time with some beautiful weather. And then last weekend, we had a wedding on Friday. I had a wedding on Saturday, both of which I officiated. Um, and then Sunday, I preached at uh, a church I was formerly on staff at the week after their senior pastor of 10 years resigned. So it was a busy weekend, and I want to share with you all a passage this evening that's been resonating on my heart uh, for the last several weeks, and it's also a passage that I've been trying to live even as I'm trying to preach it. I want to practice what I preach. And so the title of tonight's message is, Are You Paying Attention? And our text for this evening is in the second book of the Bible. It's called Exodus. It's in Exodus chapter 3. I want to tell you a story about how Moses paid attention to the God who is calling to him. And before we get there, and while you're turning to Exodus chapter 3, and before I tell you this story... I want to tell you about a passage, or a blog rather, that I came across. It was written several years ago, but I only recently came across it. And it was in the New York Times. It was in their travel section. It was by a man named Eric Weiner. And in this travel blog, he talks about the phenomenon of thin places. You with me? Have you heard of thin places? I'm not just talking about L.A. where everybody's image conscious and eating, you know, tofu and sprouts. Thin places, rather, as he tells it, are locales where the distance between heaven and earth collapses and we're able to catch glimpses of the divine or the transcendent. Can I remind you that I read that in the New York Times travel blog? And what was interesting is not just where I read it, but who wrote it. This man was an agnostic and a self-proclaimed spiritual voyeur. What he means by that term as a spiritual voyeur is he's one that would peer in and kind of look at different faith traditions with some appreciation, but never with his own personal experience. That is until he wound up in a hospital after a near-death experience. And then he was asked a question by one of his nurses, and the question was this. The question was, have you found your God yet? And that question woke him up, and it made him begin paying attention where he was only previously kind of voyeuring or peering in. So when he speaks of thin places, these locations, he also says these are the kinds of places where we are jolted out of our old ways of seeing the world. And therein lies the transform the trans I can't even read transformative magic of travel. What he's talking about is not even just Christian places. He's talking about Buddhist meditation centers that he's visited, or Sikh temples in India that he's visited, or even huge and ornate Catholic 
cathedrals that he's visited. They're the kinds of places that may not look and feel very thin or different to us, but you have to admit they're the kinds of places that when you step inside of them, you kind of change the way you move and breathe and walk. Am I right? Some of you, like me, grew up in more liturgical churches where you wore robes and lit candles. Aaron, I know a lot of you guys. And you didn't just run around like crazy like some of our kids do in this kind of space. Right? And you don't kind of jump up on the stage like some of our kids do. There's something about these places that just changes your posture within them. And when they're thin places, it's as if the veil or the sheet, if you will, between what we can see, touch, feel, and taste in our physical experience in the ordinary, everyday, earthly matters begins to kind of have a thinness to that sheet or that veil where if we could just poke our finger hard enough, we would see what is unseen, and that is the reality of heaven, the divine and the transcendent. There's a thin place where heaven and earth are so close, you could almost touch it. These are the spaces he's speaking of. Have you ever had an opportunity, a moment, a place, a memory that jolted you out of your old ways of seeing? For him, it was a question. For some of you, it may have been that event that you said afterward, you know what, I am so glad I went. I didn't want to. I had every reason not to. I'm looking at you, some of those dudes at the Create Space Retreat. But by the end of it, you're like, you know what, I'm so glad I went. I know a lot of you that go down to Austin Street every month or when Amy was doing the women's Bible study and Sherry and a lot of these people. On Monday mornings, it's so hard to fight traffic on Central. But when you get there and you have these conversations, you feed the friends that you've met at Austin Street. At the end of it, you say, man, I'm glad I went. There was some thinness about this everyday location that was saturated with the divine. Have you ever had that experience? Or that one worship gathering that you went to, that that person invited you to, that one thing your friend said over coffee that rattled around in your head and your heart for a month. Have you had those jolting awake kind of things? So let me phrase a question like this. What would it look like? How would it change you to have the kind of attentiveness in the present tense to those kind of moments? Not just in hindsight. Does that make sense? Would it change your week this week to try to live in the present tense to the thin moments Instead of just looking back retroactively and saying, that was something, that was special. Would it change your week this week to be more attentive and attuned to what's happening in the here and now? Wouldn't it change the way you live it in that moment? How would that conversation be different? How would that presence, serving, loving, giving, worshiping, how much more fully Alive and transformative might it be if you were actually there in the present tense, not worried about what's coming next or what happened behind you, and not just recognizing it days or hours later. You with me? 
I'm coming to believe more and more that in our story this evening, it's not just something that happened a couple millennia ago. It's something that's happening every week in our lives. Moses is going to encounter a thin place that's not thin inherently. We're going to read this writer call it the mountain of God, but to Moses it was just another mountain. To Moses it was just another day on the job. But it became a thin place because God's presence was there and he paid attention. What would it look like if God is lighting up bushes like we're going to see in our story every week in your life, what would it look like for you to try to be attentive and attuned to it in the present tense, not just in the past tense? That's what I want to talk about in our story this evening. The question is not, is God trying to get my attention? The question is, am I paying attention? Let's look at Exodus chapter 3. This is a lengthy passage So I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to retell it, and we're going to talk about it for a few moments together, because it's something that's not left me. Speaking of dudes at the Create Space Retreat, yes, we're going to read it again. Yes, we're going to talk about it again. Are you paying attention? Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. Can't even touch that. We don't even have time. There's so much in this passage. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness. And he came to Horeb, or maybe your Bible says Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'm going to go check that out. He says, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. Pause. How many of you noticed that you thought the angel of the Lord was in the bush? Did you notice that? That's an Old Testament phrase that no one really can definitively say what it is. The angel of the Lord. Is it Jesus before he's Jesus of Nazareth incarnate? Is it some kind of super angel, messenger for God? But then it just says that God was calling to him from the bush. What is it? That's a great question. Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land and into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you 
to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, well, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Read it this way. Uh, I thought you said you were going to do something about it. And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign that to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain, this here, right now, this thin place. So Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, oh yeah, what's his name? Mr. I talked to God in a bush. You lighten up something, dog, but it ain't no bush. I'm back. (laughs) What if they ask me what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. I love this story. What if God is trying to get your attention? I mean, even now, what if God is trying to get your attention? What would it look like for a whole church to be attentive to the God who is calling them, not just to be with them in the here and now, but to be with them each and every step as they go, to be reminded that we don't have to go alone, to be reminded that God is going to move and act, but he wants to do it with us. What would it look like if God was trying to get your attention? What would it look like for a whole church to be attentive? I'm convinced that God is lighting up bushes all around us in our everyday life. The question is not, is God trying to get my attention, but am I paying attention. That's our core idea this evening. I see three movements in this passage. The first is this idea of here am I, right? I'm here. I'm showing up. I'm present. Here am I. You're called. I answered. What you got for me? Half the battle is just showing up. And this is what Moses does. The second movement is how quickly that turns into, well, who am I? Wait a minute now. Who am I to do this? And then that third movement is, okay, 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 well, who are you, God? Who are you? That's where we're headed. This first movement we see here when Moses is entering into a thin place is this idea of showing up. Here am I. Being present. Being attentive. Being here in the now. You need to understand that Moses is in an in-between season of his life. How many of you are in in in-between seasons of your life? You're in between some sense of I've grown a little bit, I've lived a little bit, and I'm not who I once was, but I sense that I'm not yet who I ought to be. Maybe that's a vocational thing, your work, your job, the way you're serving or living or giving, or maybe it's just this angst that you can't quite put your finger on. 
Moses was in an in-between place. He came from the lap of luxury. He grew up in an Egyptian household, even though he was a Hebrew by ethnicity. The first two chapters of Exodus are powerful. And even in their brevity, they cover so much ground. And there's so much that just is evocative of a God who is attentive to an oppressed people and he's moving and working even in the midst of their oppression but if you read the first two chapters in all their brevity don't get confused it's a long time before God calls Moses to do something about it but Moses is here in an in-between place a Hebrew by birth but he grew up in the palace of Pharaoh. He grew up in luxury, and because he killed someone, he went on the lamb, so now he's in exile. We meet Moses in Exodus chapter 3, leading sheep before he's ever going to lead a nation. But here's what's fascinating about Exodus chapter 3. Moses has settled into his new life. He doesn't know that he's in an in-between season. He's just putting his head down and trying to do what he's got to do, and that is take care of his father-in-law's sheep. So he takes his sheep from their ordinary place, and they go out to the far side, to a far country, because they had grass-fed, organic, like ranch-flavored, or I don't know what. It was some choice grass, whatever. He winds up at this place that the writer tells us is the mountain of God. Do you think Moses has any idea that this is the mountain of God? Some might think there's enough evidence to say that the ancients would label this or that mountain as some kind of sacred or thin place. But to Moses, dude, he's tending sheep, he's doing him, and then boom, God gets his attention. I'm convinced this has happened to some of us. Not only in that, man, I'm glad I went. But it's a real gift when you're doing you and you're doing your everyday thing and boom, God gets your attention. Moses has no idea how central this mountain will be in his life. He just shows up doing what he's doing and boom, he sees this bush. It's lit up and he sees enough to draw him in closer. When I was telling the first part of this story to some students at The Rock this week, I said, what would you do if you saw that bush that wasn't burning up? And they would say, well, dude, I would, I would put it out. And I was like, you know what? That's actually the, the right thing. School has taught you well, young friend. You're supposed to do that. And it's got me thinking the last few days, how often do we try to put out and stamp out the remarkable and strange things that God is doing in our midst? What would it look like for us to start putting out the things that God's trying to do within our church? What would it look like to try to put out the fire of whatever's going on two miles up the road that way with that people in that space? The more and more we try to just show up and say, here am I, God. What are you lighting up? Man, let's not douse the flames that God is lighting up in our midst. Moses moves closer into this strange sight. And I love this thought that the rabbis have mused for centuries. It's been said that rabbis, upon reflecting on this passage, which is a real central one, obviously, in the Jewish and Christian faith, 
The rabbis reflect this way and teach it thusly. The bush was always burning. Moses just happened to look up. I'm convinced that so often in our life, the bush is burning and God is saying, Moses, Moses, Adam, Adam, Amy, Amy, and he's waiting for us to look up. What would it look like to look up? There's a medieval mystic named Jean-Pierre de Cussade. He wrote a book that is the culmination of notes that some nuns collected over a retreat. And they published them much later, and now it's known as the Sacrament of the Present Moment. The old title that was given to it is Self-Abandonment to the Divine Providence, but I got to tell you, that title, the Sacrament of the Present Moment, is hard to beat. That every moment can be a thin place if you'd let it. He says it this way, each moment is a revelation of God. Do you believe it? It's hard to think that folding laundry is a revelation of God. Boy, it's hard to think that Sunday night when that tornado or two or three or nine are ripping through our part of town, that that's a revelation of God. Man, it's hard to believe that when you get that call, when you get that text, that that's a revelation of God and you know which ones I'm talking about. But I think we can tune ourselves to the present moment by starting in the tiniest of ways and it looks like this. Ready? Take a deep breath in. And breathe out. That is a gift that you just received. You didn't will your lungs to open and to work. And you didn't will the air in the atmosphere to be in this moment and in this place. And you just, ooh, you just received a gift. It's the way that Eric Weiner, who I mentioned earlier, after that jolting question, awakening him into the fact that there may be something much larger going on. It's the way we need to live each moment that not just the cliche country song, but to realize that every breath and every moment is a gift. You can do what I did and realize when there's so many people who are hurting and struggling and battling cancer and illness and sickness and they're struggling and they're hurting and you can do what I did and that is stay up till 3.30 in the morning with your laptop open looking at old videos of your kids even though they're seven and five and you're snot crying and just saying, I can't believe it, every moment is a gift. I, all the cliches are true. They do grow up so fast. That one guy, that one time, he, he told me they grow up fast and they do. It's this way of paying attention to say, I need to be reminded that this right now is a gift because you may not have a home to go back to one day. You may not have a car that starts one day. You may not have a body that works the way it does now one day. And we don't say that to be morbid, but it's a way of living in the present tense, of being present to God's presence, that he's with us, he's gifting us, he's sustaining us. Centuries later, Paul, walking through an agnostic kind of 
city says, I've heard your philosophers say that in him we live and move and have our being. He goes, I know that guy's name. His name is Jesus. And in him we live and move and have our being. The bush is always burning. Look up. There are people in your midst and in your life that are struggling, that need help looking up. And you can look up and say, Jesus, he's the reason. He's the gift. He's worth it. He's compelling. His way is transformative. Look up. Look up. You're not alone. I wonder what it would look like if you just had five minutes a day to breathe deeply and remember that it's a gift. What would it look like to take that famous line from Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God, and spend three minutes doing this? This is for free. It's not in my outline. You ready? It says, be still and know that I am God. Take a breath and say, be still and know that I am God. And then to breathe again and say, be still and know that I am And think about the passage we're speaking about. Then to take another breath and say, just to be still and know deep within the knowing that descends into my heart. And then just to say to be still. And then just to breathe in again and say, be. That's what I'm talking about. Looking up, paying attention. How often do you actually breathe deeply? I talked to a guy this week who this weekend was speaking in six different contexts before Monday he goes and defends his dissertation. And I'm sitting there saying, and I thought I had a busy weekend last weekend. And he says, I hope I can steward these moments well. And he wrote down on an index card, remember to breathe deeply. It has less to do with all his notes and all his things and remember that God is lighting up bushes. Is he paying attention? Are we listening? What would it look like in your life of prayer to not just say thank you, thank you, thank you or would you, would you, would you but to just be still and practice 30 seconds or a minute of still attuned listening. In prayer school, we did with Brian Zond a couple years ago, it works its way down halfway through our little prayer liturgy, and it just says, sitting with Jesus. And it sounds deceptively simple, but what he's talking about in sitting with Jesus is to pray less to Jesus and more think Jesus. And to come more and more into an awareness of the one in whom we live and move and have our being. What would it look like for you this week? There's at least three practical things I gave you to just breathe and quit spinning around like the Tasmanian devil. What would it look like to take five minutes before that phone call, that meeting, that next thing, that time you get out of your car? He's lighting up bushes, and we can't expect to be led without listening. You know who said that? Robert Vaughn at the Create Space Men's Retreat. You better come back next year because there's some gems in this thing. But think about that. Man, that supervisor, that coworker, that boss that comes up to you and gets on you because you did not do the thing that you did not know you needed to do. How am I supposed to do that if you didn't tell me? 
How are you supposed to be led without listening? How are you supposed to know the way of Jesus that we talk about on Facebook and to your friend if you ain't reading what Jesus did and said and expects you to live? It's so wonderful when we talk about all that Jesus is up to in theory. It's another to hear it from him directly. We can't expect to be led without listening. So each moment is an invitation to pay attention to God and respond appropriately. This is what Moses does. When he begins to move closer toward that bush, what's fascinating is the famous thing, right? Take off your shoes because you're standing on holy ground. Moses, I don't know if you know this dog, but you're standing in a thin place. And so he takes off the shoes, which is a sign of respect that cuts across so many cultures and generations. Some of y'all got houses where you say, ah, da, 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 take off your shoes. This carpet, Amy Sinclair. Just making sure y'all are listening. She was doing this. She has a lovely rug that I almost ruined. So I've I confess, will you forgive me? It's a sign of respect for Amy Sinclair. It's also a sign of respect for God himself. And then he hides his face because I think he recognizes, "Uh uh-oh, I haven't paid attention. And you know what I love, though, implicit to this? Do you tell someone who's standing in that corner Don't come any closer. If they've got their back to you and they're just planted there in the corner, don't come closer. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense unless you just know that that's a crazy person and you don't that stay. I think what's going on in Exodus 3 is not that. I think what's going on in Exodus 3 is when someone is actually moving towards you and you say, whoa, that's far enough. Did you read that or hear that earlier? We always think that Moses was just like backing away and then he kicks his sandals off and and then he hides his face. I see in this text someone who is moving closer to this strange sight. He's looking up and then God said, wait, that's far enough. This is a thin place and you are piercing through the veil. Act like it. Pay attention and respond appropriately. That bush is always burning. The question is, are we going to look up? The trick is, when we look up, God might ask us to go with him. So it's interesting that showing up and saying, here am I, can really quickly become, well, wait a minute, who am I? This is the second movement that I see here. And isn't it crazy how often, well, here I am. I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to serve. I'm ready to do the thing. I've written down all these notes. I'm going to set an alarm on my phone. I'm going to become attentive to God's presence. I'm going to breathe for five minutes. I'm going to sit with Jesus. I'm going to think about Jesus. I'm going to become aware of Jesus' presence. I'm going to feed the poor. I'm going to feed the hungry. I'm going to listen and pray to these people and with these people people I'm going to serve and I'm going to love and I'm going to give and then here comes that person and that opportunity to serve and love and give you say wait 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 wait. who am I anyway I don't have a master of divinity degree I I mean I haven't read my bible in a couple weeks couple months couple years who am I really it's so powerful 
tool of the enemy to turn here am I ready to go to who am I I can't go. And this is what I want you to see in Exodus chapter 3. It, when it sounds great in theory, but when it's game time and you bail out, you need to understand that faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is trusting God in the midst of it. You know who said that? Jason Knight at the Create Space Men's Retreat. Can we have a retreat every week so I can crowdsource my sermons? These are moments of burning bush moments when we're reading and hearing and discerning God's word together. We spent like an hour in this passage and we're hearing the voice of God in our brothers. Faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is trusting God in the midst of it. Moses, who was there, here I am. I'm, I'm leaning in. I'm getting closer. All of a sudden it becomes, well, wait a minute. Who am I? I can't do this. You can't send me. Faith is trusting God in the midst of it. And this is what's powerful about that passage. Did y'all notice, and if you have it in front of you, look in that middle section when God speaks back to Moses. He says, Moses, I have seen these people struggling under the weight of oppression. I have heard their cries. Well, listen to this. Do you think a lot of those slaves and those Hebrew people were like praying the perfect, most theologically accurate prayer to a God that they knew his name and remembered who he was in the midst of their slavery? Do you think that they were still allowed to go to Sabbath and you know, observe the law that they had not yet gotten because that's in Exodus chapter 18, 19, and 20? Or do you think that God hears the groaning and the cries of all oppressed people and he's moving and he's caring and he's going to do something about it. But you know what he likes to do? He likes to make his people that do know him by name become the answer to their prayers. Whoops. Did you hear what I said? I've come down because I've seen and I've heard and I care. I'm concerned. And so I'm going to do something about it. Moses, go. Man, these people, man, they're struggling with their rent. Man, our neighbors, man, they're struggling. We've got a condo that's busted, and we've got this that needs help, and we've got this marriage that's desperate. We've got these people. God, God, God. And he says, yes, I'm already working, but I'm looking for partners. It's a dangerous thing when you start to think that you might be called to be the answer to your prayer. So that's when Moses starts going through his credentials and thinking, well, wait a minute, dude, who am I? I can't do this. I can't do this. And God is like, exactly, exactly. So what's powerful is when he says, who am I? What does God say in response? Did you see that? It's not on the screen. Maria, don't you put that on the screen. Well, who am I, dude? I can't do this. What does God say? Moses, you got this, dude. I got your cover letter. You got a stacked resume. Man, you're great. You got this, dude. Does God say that? No. What does he say? Before that. That's the question for part three, the answer. I will be with you. If you hear nothing else, would you hear this? The answer to the question, who am I, 
is the one that God is with. Yesterday, when I was running home to grab a bunch of junk out of our office and to come up here to the ark to get a bunch of stuff and Sherry and Bill had just gotten back from Colorado like three o'clock and they're still ready to go to the rock and all this stuff. I walk in and I'm thinking about the to-do list and what I've got to grab and all this and that and the other and I see on our little entry hall table a package that was wrapped up and Amy had no idea what was inside it but it had a little note that said daddy do this before anything. And I'm sitting there saying, I've got so many things to do before this. And so she says, open it up. So I open it up, and it's a Beatles lunchbox. And I was like, oh, that thing that we got from Five Below eight years ago, wonderful. She goes, no, open it up. So I open it up, and here's the bush that's beginning to get lit on fire. And I'm just thinking of the next thing, thinking of the next thing. And I see these two folded up pieces of paper, and I open it up, and it says... God is with you each step. And it has two little feet. And I'm like, Amy, did you? And she goes, this is amazing. No. And I'm sitting there. This is a look up. Pay attention. God is in this moment. And the answer to the question, who am I, is not the one that has to get all this stuff figured out and together and all my this and all my that and my to-do list and my this and my that. The answer to the question, who am I, is the one God is with. And you may or may not remember the illustration, those of us who went to an unhurried retreat with our friend Alan Fadling, who wrote a couple books now. He's a real gift to me in this church. Remember this exercise when he told us to go through our to-do list? Remember this, some of you? And everybody's like, this sucks. I paid money to this retreat, and now he's, we're trying to be present in the moment, and he's talking about the stuff i got to do next week, and I've got to do this, and I've got to do this. He says, now take a breath, and what did he say? Write two words next to every one of them. Do you remember what it says? With God. Every step. Who am I? The one God is with. I am convinced that when we're still and quiet and we move closer and closer to the burning bushes in our lives, in our weeks, we would be reminded that he is with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And we read it earlier. We don't have to go and do and rescue Egypt the Israelites from Egypt by ourselves. Behold, I am what? With you always, even to the end of the age. When I sin, I'm with you. Look up, repent. I'm here, let's go. When I blow it, yes, I'm with you. I'm here, let's go. Even though I haven't in two months or two years, I'm here now. The only life you have to live is this one right now, moment to moment which is why it's so crucial, this third question. Well, who are you, God? I love this. Moses runs out of his excuses about himself. So he says, okay, okay, suppose that I go to them and I say, okay, God sent me. And they're like, okay, yeah, what God, right? You don't know what you're talking about. You stinky shepherd that killed a dude a few years ago. We remember you. He's starting to play out all those worries then, right? What if they say, what if they say? Can I tell you a spoiler alert? No one ever asks him, what's God's name? Suppose I go to them and tell them this grand plan and they say, yeah, but what's his name? They never ask him. 
Isn't it funny that so many of the things that you worry about never even happen? If you were to take a list, right? We've talked about gratitude journals. What if you had a worry journal and you just started writing them things out every single day? What if you returned to it a week later and looked at that thing and you're like, oh yeah, and you just start crossing off the things that never happen? Maybe God is trying to get your attention. But God answers a question that no one else will ask. But Moses asks it, and God answers it. And he says this, I am who I am. Some of your Bibles might say, I will be who I will be. Some of your Bibles might say, I am that I am. Some of your Bibles might say, I will be who I will be. I will be that I will be. I am that. You know why they say all those things? No one really knows how to translate what God said in a bush. The real tricky thing is this. No one knows how to say what no one even knows how to translate. Have you heard the word Jehovah? Have you heard the word Yahweh? Same stab at this unspeakable, untranslatable utterance that we just read. We don't have the vowels. We have Y-H-W-H. We don't know how to say it. And even if we did, our Jewish friends don't speak it. It's too holy. Here's what I think this illustrates to me. God says, what you call me in this moment is less important than who I am. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. But Moses, here is your invitation to let me be the God of you. I met Abraham, I met Isaac and Jacob, I'm here, I'm with you, I'm meeting you, let me be God for you. The God who is, the God who was, and the God who will be in every season, in every situation. Students, can I talk to you real quick? You may have heard of the God of Kara and Robert and John and Emily and Isaac Do you know the God of you? The God of Cameron and Amy? When you stand before God face to face, no one's gonna vouch for you but Jesus. Did you experience firsthand? Did you encounter firsthand in a still small voice or a gut punch or a slap across the face, a moment when he's calling you, are you looking up? Because the God of Steve and April is one thing, but the God of you is another thing. No one is gonna have a relationship with Jesus for you. No one's gonna have a relationship with Jesus for me. At some point, he's calling you by name and he's asking you, Let's set off together. I love you. 
and them, but you. I want you, this you, the now you, not the six-year more mature version of you, not the six-years-old version of you that prayed and wrote pretty things and wrapped them up in a Beatles lunchbox for your daddy. I want the now you. I want to set off and show you a way of living that is easy and light and it is life. Choose to set off with me. Let me be God with you and for you. But we want the step-by-step process. Moses wanted the plan and he wanted the plagues and we, he wanted to know that he knew that that sea was going to part. That's later. All God promises them is his unfailing presence. We want the process. God promises his presence. I want to close with this illustration. Because the weather was nice in the middle of the week. In the midst of everything going on, we tried to steal away and work on Emma riding a two-wheeled bike. And this was really special for us because um, we hadn't been doing it and we just had to make that time and so she was excited about it, and we used some of our pastor appreciation money, thank you Wiley group there, to buy some new like helmets and pads and get out as a family together and go do a thing. And it was wonderful. And so as soon as I got out there, I realized like, oh yeah, I don't know how to teach her how to do this. <laughs> and so I'm like, Amy, can you YouTube this? Because she's like ready to rock. And so I'm sitting there, and I start to, like, just run with her and start to do this thing, and I'm holding on the back of the seat. And we're starting to do this thing, and I'm like, I think you're supposed to, like, let go or push her? And then he was like, wait, 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 wait. She goes, I just saw something on YouTube. And I was like, okay, what? And she was doing okay, but she said, don't hold the seat. Hold her. And so I put my arms under her shoulders, and it's amazing how we just began to move freely there, and then within a few stretches back and forth, I began to be able to let my hands off little by little, and then, of course, what happens? She starts to wobble. She starts to do this. Where is she looking when she's doing this? She's looking down, or she's looking way too far ahead, and so she starts to go, daddy, 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 daddy. I said, I'm here, I'm here, and what, what that looks like is when she starts to wobble, my hands would be right there underneath her to guide her and to bring her back. But she had to understand that I am with her, that I'm holding her, but I can't pedal for her. I can't sit there and grab her by the chin while I'm holding on to her. I, I can't sit there and like ugh, force her to look where she needs to look. But I'm with her. And I'm holding her. She didn't fall. And even if she did, I would pick her up. But it's her job to keep moving forward and to pay attention. And more than that, to trust me that I'll be with her. And I think this is our invitation. When you want to look so far ahead and you're worried about the next step and the next step after that, he's inviting you to look up to him and pay attention. And when you start to look back and wonder, is he there, is he there, is he there? That's when, if you were right here, you'd recognize you may not feel his hands as tightly, but he will not let you slip. And what's the kind of faith that forms you? The kind that just gets downloaded into your brain? 
Oh, if I could just hear this sermon or read this book, or is it the lived experience of paying attention and responding appropriately? Are you paying attention? Father, may we come closer and closer, even if we don't understand why the bush is not being burned up, even if we're slow to kick off our sandals, even if we don't feel like we need to cover our face, would we still be moving closer and closer with our feet and with our face, ever looking to you? We ask that the bushes that you'll light up this week will be noticed as you call us and remind us you are with us, you are who you are, you will be who you will be, and you will never leave us nor forsake us. Amen. Would you stand as we receive our benediction and then we'll be dismissed. May you walk each step this season on hallowed ground, aware of God's presence and aligned for God's purpose. May you remember that our God is, was, and always will be with you and within you, wherever he sends you. Amen. Amen.